0: Welcome to The Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts. And here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard, it is Egg Bowl Week. I don't know if we should call it Egg Bowl Week. Yeah, I mean, the Clarion Ledger is the one that, uh, it's really, it's kind of like, you know, people used to call a Stark Vegas to, to make fun of us. And then we kind of adopted it and flipped it. So, the Clarion Ledger is the one that decided years ago when State and Ole Miss were were not very good and we weren't making bowl games, they dubbed this game the Egg Bowl. It's always been known traditionally as the battle for the golden egg, which is the correct and proper name. As Jack Crystal said, I don't think we should call it the Egg Bowl just because the Clarion Ledger did. I agree with Jack, even though I get caught up in it sometimes too and I forget. It's just so much easier. But it's rivalry week here in the state of Mississippi, and so as a result... And the fact that you guys are going to be traveling a lot this week. Like many of you are going to be back and forth to Starkville and maybe going to Grandma's house on Wednesday, going to the ball game and going home Friday. You're going to have four bone yards this week. How about that? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Friday. Friday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so I'm coming to you from the wee hours of the morning on Monday morning. Now, our schedule for today has changed a little bit. Ordinarily, we would get Mike Leach. Uh, between 2.30 and 3.30. We're going to get him as a post-practice deal, kind of a Zoom call on Monday evening. So if you're looking for Mike Leach, Ole Miss commentary mid-afternoon, not going to have it. We're also not going to have coaching or player availability this week. Now, never fear, because we have been in the game a long time, and our trusty friends and media relations uh, were able to work with us. So, we got several players Saturday after the win against Tennessee State. It's kind of an Egg Bowl preview, or a battle for the Golden Egg preview. There, I'm doing it already. And so, we're going to have several player features. I uh, got a lot of guys from Mississippi. I interviewed uh, Austin Williams, uh, Nathan Pickering, of course, we got Will Rogers, I got Jet Johnson, too. So, you, those features will run out Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, kind of leading up to Thursday's festivities. So, a lot to unpack today we're going to break down the game we're going to talk a great top 10 list we're going to recap the week the weekend it was and uh going to take a trip down memory lane courtesy of our good friends at portico and so we're going to talk about great mississippi state wins in the rivalry this week is part of that great section from portico this you know historical facts Now. One of the things I'd like to share with you guys, and I was on the show earlier. I actually did the, the, uh, a show with Stingray and somebody else. They reached out and said, Hey, Steve, we'd like to talk to you this week. It's rivalry week. Happy to talk uh, because in many respects, in most circles, I am the definitive expert on the state of this rivalry. And I don't think that's undisputed. So there are a few things I want to say. they like, and this comes up. People say, hey, why do you think it's gotten so bad the last few years? Guys, let me bring you up to speed. Let me break some news here for you today on the Boneyard. It has always been bad. Always. You're just more aware of it today because of social media, because people can't really hide themselves. You know, I go back to the very first game ever played between Mississippi A&M and the University of Mississippi. The very first game was delayed because a former Ole Miss player had enrolled at Mississippi State and was not playing for us. And the coaches at Ole Miss felt that that created an unfair advantage for Mississippi State or Mississippi A&M, regardless, us. So the game was delayed. We sat him and won anyway. We still beat him. In 1905, we played Ole Miss and Jackson for the very first time. Now, I recounted some of this in Stark Villains. And there was a letter to the editor of The Reflector written by a student at the time. We ran that letter in its entirety, in its original prose, in that book. You can go buy that book today and you can read about it. Stark, Villains, and Alpha Dogs both are written. the Kind of the history of the state old Miss rivalry from a Mississippi State perspective. And so I love those books, man. I really do. I, I, lo- I learned a lot. But in 1905, we played them in Jackson for the very first time. Now, legend has it that every student at Mississippi A&M attended the game. They went out there, boarded a train, took the revelry and everything, and went all the way down there. They attended the game. And so there were no stands back then. And so as we began, you know, to get momentum in the ballgame, you know, our fans, our students are kind of on the field, like talking trash, bobbing, weaving, that sort of stuff. So the game had to be stopped several times to get our fans off the field. And what's interesting, too, is Ole Miss either fired or their football coach resigned about six weeks before the season. So, as a result, they only had two games under contract. That was with UT Chattanooga. They lost and got shut out. And the game was against us, and they got shut out. So, they played two games, losing both, don't score a single point. And so, those smarmy Aggie cadets, our forefathers, somehow some someway found a coffin in jackson I have no idea how they found a coffin they did and so they either borrow or purchased this coffin and then they conducted a full military parade funeral for the death of the spirit of Ole miss athletics and they even put bully on top of the coffin and they played a very somber funeral march this goes back to 1905 now there was a time there, of course, uh, you know, state, you know, we were obviously the better program, uh, you know, had tougher kids, you know, uh, just kind of how things were. You know, we had the farmer's kids and the bourgeoisie in Mississippi uh, did not want the farmer's kids going to school with their kids. You know, you, you may go, and I, I discussed this in, in, um, in Starkville ones, is so when the Morrill Land Grant Act was passed as part of post-Civil War Reconstruction, They uh, the money initially went to Ole Miss and everybody says, oh, of course they take it. Well, they were the only institution of higher learning at the time for white students. And so they took it and they set up agricultural mechanical arts programs. Didn't work out. Ultimately, that money was given back. And uh, they actually took a portion of the funds away from Alcorn State. That's a true story. I I have read some people that dispute that. Uh, That is true. So there was money taken from Ole Miss and from Alcorn that basically funded the founding of Mississippi State. It's a true story, 100%. And we shouldn't feel guilty about that. It wasn't our decision. But Ole Miss fought tooth and nail to kind of prevent all that stuff. So, you know, again, it was very contentious. And so they didn't want to play us for a long time because, you know, we were the new kids on the block and you know, they were just too good to play us. And I think they really got tired of losing to us pretty even for the most part but they were like, "Ah, we're going to upgrade our schedule." So, after the 1911 game, the Mississippi State won 6 nothing. They decided they're going to upgrade our schedule. They did not play us 1912, 13 or 14. And finally in 1915, we got to get them back on the field. And we took out 4 years of frustration. And we beat those guys 65 to nothing. 65 to nothing. Most lopsided victory in the series. And then Mississippi State did not lose to the school up north again until 1926. That's right. Rattled them off 1915, 16, 17, and then two times in 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. They finally beat us in 1926. 1926. In Starkville, they rush the field, tear down the field goals, and the next thing you know, they're, all hell breaks loose. And as legend has it, you know, some wooden chairs had to be sacrificed to protect the dignity of Mississippi A&M. So when I hear these people say, oh, it's gotten so bad. Why are you so delicate? This has always been a rivalry that is not for the faint of heart. Our grandfathers are out there cracking each other over the head with a wooden chair because Ole Miss finally won a football game for the first time in forever. And you want to talk to me about it's toxic? Give me a break. Give me a break. It's ridiculous. So here's the deal. I'm, I'm happy with the arrangement exactly as it is. I don't know what, how you guys feel. Uh, I don't need anybody from Ole Miss to like me. They're not my target audience. I know many of them are listening to this show. And he said, oh, I can't stand that guy. You know what? The feelings are mutual. Right back at you, pal. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, they're not good at sports. They're having a good year in football, but, they, you know, ideally they're not good in sports. And so we have to share a state with them. And I've heard people say, oh, I wish they'd close Ole Miss down. I, I don't agree. I, I think it's perfect as it is because, you know, that, those people have somewhere to go to school. You now they're kind of consolidated in one area in one part of the state. And so perfectly fine with me. Take a lot of pleasure in beating them, and I know they enjoy beating us. And I know as sure as I sit here, if we lose the ball game on Thursday, which I absolutely do not expect, you know, my Twitter mentions are going to blow up. Oh, Steve, you know, we stuck it to you. You know what? Hey, congratulations. You did. I don't like it, but I'm not going to get out there on, on Twitter and cry about it. It's not going to do it. Not going to do it. i got too much pride in myself. But, uh, you know, when it's, when it's our year to brag, we're going to have a good time with it. And I believe this will be our year to brag. I feel really good about the ball game, and we're going to spend this week talking about that. We are. That's not to say it's not going to be a competitive ball game. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Could be a lot of things happening at ball ballgame. But we're going to break a lot of things down. We're going to talk about, you know, when State like – tomorrow we'll probably talk about, you know, what does the game look like when State is on defense, Ole misses is on offense, talk about those matchups, kind of break down some offensive numbers from Ole Miss and defensive numbers from State. Because I really believe that is where the game will be won or lost. I think State's going to be able to score. I don't think Ole Miss is going to be able to get a lot of stops without our help. But can Mississippi State's Zach Arnett, the defense, get enough stops to win the ballgame? I think that is where the game will be determined. That's a very, very potent offense. And anybody that suggests otherwise is being disingenuous. Matt Corral is an extremely talented player, will be one of the first quarterbacks taken in this draft, and deservedly so. But I still want him to leave with a loss. I do. I know you guys do. I, I can respect them, but I don't always have to like them. You know, and that's the thing, too, that there's so many people that make this so personal. I got nothing against those players. It's kind of the ideals in this whole, uh, you know, modern-day caste system and cultural elitism that gets to me. So, I'm perfectly fine with the arrangement. I don't like them. They don't like me. They don't have to like us. That's fine. I'm not running for mayor in Oxford, but uh, we're going to break down the game. We're going to have a great week. And I think it's going to end with a Bulldog victory. At least I certainly hope so. But I feel really confident about the game. Mississippi State uh, gets out of this Saturday's game with uh, pretty much as we talked about on the show on Friday. Best case scenario for State, of course, would be Vanderbilt to win the game. But I don't think anybody realistically expected that to happen. That said, Vanderbilt made Ole Miss play it down to the final possession. They weren't able to pull it. I think ideally, you know, Lane Kiffin would love to be able to pull the guys at the half. And and to be honest with you, and we'll talk about it a little later in the show, you know, Vanderbilt could have made that game a lot more interesting. They didn't. They kind of stopped doing what worked for them. And, of course, State basically were able to sub pretty liberally. We had the second-team skill players on the field in the first quarter. And so you rotated rather liberally. And so State obviously kind of turns it over. Uh, to second, third teamers later in the ball game, which enabled Tennessee State to score. But the reality of it is, is that not only did we get a head start because of the start times, and Lane Kiffin even mentioned that in post game, it's like, hey, they got a six hour head start. It was actually closer to seven hours. And so while those guys are getting, you know, getting showered and everything else, we're already breaking down film. We we are well ahead of the gate. And so if we win this game or lose this game, it's got. It's not gonna. We're not gonna be able to blame. lack of preparation. You can say, well, it's a short week. Well, they've had less time to prepare than we have. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show, and I am longtime fans of that establishment. Love going in there. Love the food. Had lunch there recently with my good friend Chuck Jordan, who uh, is a distant relative. I I can't chase the lineage, but uh, he is from Winston County originally as my grandmother, and she was also uh, the descendants of the Jordan family. Actually, an Intrican was her maiden name, but her mother was a Jordan. So I claim Chuck is my cousin. And it's, uh, it's my world. I can do that, right? It's my life. So I uh, went in there, had that salad again, and it is so substantial. Talking about that BLT salad. you know, A lot of people say, you know, Steve, I don't want to eat real heavy at lunch. I don't want that, like, in the afternoon. I don't want to get all sluggish in the afternoon. Let me encourage you to eat fresh. Go have that great BLT salad. You'll be glad you did. You can get it frilled or grilled, grilled or fried. My goodness, uh, and you'll be happy either way. I don't get the red onions on mine. You can have my portion. You can tell them, hey, I want Steve's red onions, and they can give them to you. I don't even want onions in the kitchen when my food's being prepared. But that said, uh, you can you, you can go and get salads at a lot of places. Not nearly as good as uh, what you're going to get at Bulldog Burger Company. So go by and check it out. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive right here in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Of course, the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Richmond-Flowwood area. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the great restaurant-quality hamburgers. Had a couple of people contact me over the weekend. They were they were Bulldog Burger Company newbies. Both of them had the pimentology, add bacon, and you know what? Changed Changed the direction of their lives. Like Steve, you absolutely were correct. Absolutely were correct in what you said, what you did. I'm hooked. And that's how it is. I don't even like pimento and cheese sandwiches, man. I can't tell you how many dinner on the grounds, deals I had to go to as a kid. My mom make those pimento and cheese sandwiches. Oh, we need to eat one of those because I made them. Well, I didn't want them. And so if, if, I, if we were outside, if I could ever find a dog to give it to, I would. And sometimes I don't even think a dog would eat pimento and cheese sandwiches. I know many of you do. It just doesn't work for me. But the pimento spread on the pimentology, bon appetit, man. It's wonderful. Go check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, in our relationship together, we have, uh, we have cultivated a relationship of honesty, right? We're, we're straight with one another. And so you and I had a discussion all around midseason. So you know what? Hey, if we can improve down the stretch like we did last year, if we can be as good or better in the second half of the season than we were last year, it could be a really good year for us. And many of you at the time were all thinking, you know what, Steve, we're not going to make a ball game. And I tried to assure you we were. But I'll be honest with you, we're playing better than I expected. And that's not necessarily that I didn't expect State to blow out Tennessee State. I just want to point out to you, maybe you've missed this. Mississippi State has won four of the last five. Four of the last five and should have won the fifth one there at Arkansas. We blew it. We did. We did. And it didn't boil down to a missed field goal. I know, you oh, all we missed. Yeah, shouldn't have down to that. We got to get a stop there. The game's over. But this whole winning streak, you know, we lose to Alabama. We were thinking, you know, let's just get through that thing healthy. And you know, we've got some winnable games on the schedule. Well, guess what? We're winning those games. 45-6 winners over Vanderbilt, 31-17 winners over an overrated Kentucky team. We lose to Arkansas by three. And, of course, they have played really well down the stretch and gave Alabama all kinds of trouble. I don't know. if All these big power five jobs opening up, I don't know if you don't make Sam, Sam Pittman an offer. Guy's doing a great job. And then we beat Auburn 43-34 and of course Tennessee State 55-10. So we've won four of the last five. And we have been in every single ball game this year with the exception of the Alabama game. Every single one. It's very easy to look at the schedule and you say, "You know what? Hey, we lost by three. Tell us you. We lost by two to Memphis. You know, we could easily be in a great position for New Year's Six Bowl. We're not. Those games count. But it's like as bad as things have seemed at times, we are getting better as a football team and as a football program. All right, let's go ahead and break down this, uh, this offensive explosion Mississippi State has against Tennessee State. And listen, nobody's calling this a big win, okay, but it was a big step for us because we took care of business. We did what good teams do to bad teams, and we put the game away early. We were able to pull our guys and get some rest on a very short work week. Is we prepare for Ole Miss on Thursday. So we win the toss and defer. I like it when we're able to do that. that. That just tends to work well for us. I haven't done the math on that, but that seems to favor us. And then Tucker Day kicks off out of bounds, and you think, oh, my gosh, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? Already spotting this hapless team, good field position. Well, here's what happens. Uh, they get one yard, one yard on the play, and then lose it. So it's complete for a yard. And they, I don't think they expected us to be able to close so quickly on the perimeter. Aaron Ooh. Brulé blows it up. Blows it up. And uh, then they get a one-yard gain from Devin Starling. They're a great running back. And he, did, he was very pedestrian against us. Then it's an incomplete pass. Sean Preston with the PBU there. And it's a punt. Jaden Wiley returns it 15 yards. Fumbles it, but gets back on it. We take over at our 40-yard 40, 40 line and go right to work we've only scored on our first offensive possession I think twice this year I think that's correct Vanderbilt and then this game I think that's correct I'm almost positive that's correct because since because Vanderbilt was the first time we had done it all year and then we go down uh, you know 10 nothing, 10 nothing, you know it's 25 um, nothing, 28-3 you know it's just no, nah, we hadn't scored on his first possessions very often. We go right down and do it, though. We're complete to DJ for four, incomplete to Wally, and then Malik Heath, who had a really good game. Only a couple catches, but some big plays. A catch for 31 yards, down to Tennessee State 25. We rush DJ for four, and then it's a touchdown. Nice catch and throw here. Austin Williams, the two roommates, hooking up for the first touchdown. Gives State a 7-0 lead. Nolan McCord, true on the extra point attempt, but he was a starting kicker. And people say, well, Steve, when is Ruiz coming back? Hopefully he's back this week. Don't know. And there were a lot of guys, too, that maybe could have gone this week that because of the, the quality of competition, we held them out, including Tulu Griffin, Ra-Ra Thomas, and there were a couple others. Um, so th- th- we kick it off, and this time it's a touchback, courtesy of Scott Goodman. Devin Starling then runs for a two-yard loss. It's complete for a one-yard loss. And then there's a sack for a 12-yard loss. So, three TFLs on the play. Nathan Pickering, who is getting better week after week after week after week. We're really starting to see him realize his potential. Then it's a nice 50-yard punt. But Jaden Wiley snags it and returns it 29 yards. We're first and 10 at their 31. What do we do? We go right in and score. Complete to Polk for seven, back to Polk for five. Now we're feeding Polk for four. Second and six. We find Jameer Calvin for eight. Sets up a first and goal situation at the Tennessee State seven. We're incomplete to Woody there, and that's a drop. But rather than just say, Oh, you know, come on, Woody, we go right back to him. We give it to him and he runs it in seven yards for the touchdown. I got nothing to say negatively about the Mississippi State running backs. Guys doing a good job in pass protection. They have done a good job running the football. They don't always have great running boxes to go against. But when they do, they're making plays. And this is a good example of that. I love both of these guys. And I think the future is really bright uh, for both of them. Love the way they complement each other. And there's no jealousy between them. They, both, they understand the other guy keeps them fresher. And if you'll notice, the Bulldog backs tend to get stronger as the game goes along. All right, so we kick it back off, and uh, this time they decide to run it out, and they get a nice 24 yard return. Jed Johnson goes down there with a nice stick to end the return, and it's another three and out for the Bulldog defense. Complete to Roddale Rahman for a one yard loss, then it's a run for a three yard gain, then it's another sack for three yard loss. So two more TFLs on this drive, this time a 39 yard punt. Jaden Wiley gets just four. So we set up at the state 42. First and 10, what do we do? Go right down and score again. Will Rodgers complete the Kelp Ducking for a one-yard loss? Probably should have gone a different direction there. It's a wide receiver screen. They, they beat a block there. It is what it is. We go back to Jaden Wiley for 12. And we did a really good job involving him early, and that's what we're going to need that against Ole Miss. Then we're complete to Dylan Johnson for 17. He runs through a tackle. Get the, get the kid's just getting better and better every week. Then we run DJ for a no-gain play to the Tennessee State 30. Then we're completing Jaden Wiley for 25. Sets up a first and goal situation. We go right to the end zone to Austin Williams. Another touchdown, his second of the day. This Bulldog red zone efficiency is through the roof right now. We really struggled early on. Had to settle for field goals. We are doing a much better job converting, and I think a lot of that is the development of the run game. That is now a real threat when things get in and the, the field gets constricted a little bit. So instead of everybody just kind of sitting back on the goal line playing kind of a variation of his own, they've got to respect the fact that we will give it to our running backs. McCord, again, true on the extra point there. Goodman gets a 65-yarder. They bring it out again, and it's a 30-yard return. However, there is a block in the back that takes it back to the Tennessee State 12-yard line. What do we do? Another three and out. How about that? I mean, it's just we're just stacking up bodies at this point. All right, so it's a five-yard gain to Michael Mitchell. Then it's complete to Cam Weiss. I guess it's one of three and out. I I, I completely misread the box score. Please forgive me. So complete to Cam Weish, who was probably the best offensive player for Tennessee State. Had a couple nice plays. And then Garnett is sacked for a one-yard loss. That ends the quarter. It is 21-0 at this point. And uh, Tennessee State has earned their first First down. One first down. We're up 21-0. They got one first down. Then it's incomplete, incomplete, and it's a punt. So they can get one first down on a drive, end up having a punt, and what do you know? It's a 49-yard punt, and then Jaden Wiley returns it for 25 yards. At this point, I'm beginning to think, hey, what's the school record for punt return yards in a game? I'm just thinking, it's a matter of time he's getting 25 and 30 a return. a matter of time before he breaks one. Well, this time we didn't score. We break our streak. It's kind of a silly thing that happens, you know. It's So we get them on offside, set up a first and five, puts us out in their midfield. We'll complete the poke for seven. He takes a pretty big lick there, fumbles the football, and they get it. And you think, oh, this is the break they need. They, did, they would need a lot more breaks than that. This needed to be fumbled into the end zone in order for Tennessee State to really capitalize because this was a team that Mississippi State simply overwhelmed. So they put this thing together and uh, put together a decent drive one of, the, one of the most, probably the only real threat they had in the first half. And so it's a run for five, and then it's a complete pass that they run Johnson for six, their second first down of the game. It's a run for five, incomplete. Another one complete to run Johnson for the third first down of the game. Sets so up a first and 10 at Bulldog 31. Starling then runs for one. And this is, so they call timeout, and this is when Zach Arnett just said, okay, enough. A run for no gain, and then it's a, a sack, 17 yards, loss on the play. Uh, Tyrus Wheat gets a hand in there. He throws the football away kind of desperately. So State is credited with the sack, but officially it is an intentional grounding call. And he, there was no doubt about it. It was basically duck and chuck. 33-yard punt from our 47 and a fair catch, and Williams. And basically that's how it's going to be. If we're setting up a return, it's going to be Wally. All right, so State gets the ball back. This time we do get back on the, on the scoreboard. Uh, Woody runs for 10 yards, and that's just such a tone setter for us. When, when we can run him and get positive yards like that. Now all of a sudden those backers have to be honest. You know what I'm saying? It's like they just they can't everybody just drop out every single time. Then we mix it up and go right back to him. We check it out to him for six. Complete the Caleb ducking for eight. And then we're back to ducking for six more on first down. Brings up a second before we go back to ducking again. We're feeding him. Incomplete this time. And the next thing you know, we throw the wide receiver screen. I believe it was Austin Williams with the key block out there. And then Malik Heath outraces everybody in the end zone. 56 yards to the house. The longest play from scrimmage this season for Mississippi State. And Malik Heath, obviously, you know, that's a big physical receiver, guys. And he does what highly recruited players do in the open field. He runs away from people. And that's one of the things that kind of, you know, is an issue for us when people play two and three high safeties. So this situation here, we scheme them up pretty good, and Malik makes them pay. And then McCord, again, true on the extra point. It's 28 nothing at this point. Everybody's thinking, all right, when do we pull the starters? Tennessee State puts together a decent drive here and kind of got gifted a first down here on what I thought was a really iffy call. Uh, but they open up with a two-yard gain from Michael Mitchell go back for four, brings up a third and four, and it's complete. Michael Mitchell back to him. And, and listen, I don't know that he had it initially, but he kind of carried Colin Duncan forward for a yard. He really fought for that. And I really thought Tennessee State played hard. This game is over, but I didn't think Tennessee State quit. I really didn't. They go back to Mitchell for a five-yard gain, Then it's a two-yard loss, brings up a third and seven. And so Martin Emerson breaks it up, and they, they flag him for P.I., I thought it was a really, really nothing call. I, I, I was really surprised. Maybe it was a mercy call. I didn't think Emerson got it. I, I, I've seen a lot more contact not flagged. But the reality of it is they flag us. It's first and 10 out at their, their 48. Incomplete in the end of the day. Johnson, they call timeout. And uh, it's a, a gain of no yards. And then complete for five, well short of the, the sticks. And that's what happens, too. When State gets in cloud coverage and you throw underneath, the chances of you converting are pretty slim. Because we have gotten to be pretty good tacklers in the open field. And when we're in cloud like that, you've got to throw it underneath, and then we're going to close on you pretty good. And we rally to the football pretty well. It's usually more than one hat getting to the football. Uh, so fourth and five, we call timeouts. So they're not able to kind of run the clock here. We're trying to go get some more points. And uh, during the timeout, they decide to go for it. And listen, I get it. You're down 28 nothing. It's like, hey, you know, Let's just see if we can make it happen. Well, they can't. Uh, Nate Watson, Buki, with the great PBU there. So we take over at the 47, and we do what good teams do when giving the ball at midfield. We go right in and score. We're incomplete to Rufus. Then we go back to Polk for nine, brings up a third and one. And then Dylan Johnson runs to 14, just kind of dragging people with him. And what do you know? We dial it up again from the 30, and it's a 30-yard touchdown pass to Austin Williams, three in the game. McCord good as well. This time, we don't get the ball to the goal line, and they give up a 17-yard return. But State makes a tackle at the 19. Dylan Lawrence doing the honors there, and um, basically that's the half. They run for six, and then run for six, and it seemed like they took a they, they took a knee, but it's not recorded here in the box score. That's that's how I remember. It. Or maybe that's maybe maybe I'm it's stuck running together here. But the bottom line is. They pick up a first down. We get out of the half. And so Mississippi State absolutely rolling at this point. Everybody's happy. It's 35-0. We know that we're going to substitute liberally here in the second half. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Catherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All Tukovus boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Takovas has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand-new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop in new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are always at your service. All right, let's jump into the second half. Mississippi State deferred, so guess what? We get it first here, and, uh, you know, we got a chance again. I, I was thinking, you know what, let's, let's just get through this first drive. Let's go score, and let's pull everybody. I mean, absolutely everybody. We had a chance. We didn't do it, though, and so we are complete the poke for 12. Gets us the first down, and we're already out to the 46-yard line. We run for two, back to marks for two more. And then we're complete to Polk for two. Brings up a fourth and four. We decide to go. And we throw it to Jameer Calvin. And for some reason, he ran the route short of the sticks. I don't know if he just thought he was going to be able to beat his man out of the break and be able to outrun him. But, you know, on fourth and four, I don't need a three-yard route, especially in traffic like that. So I think that's probably one of those things Leach and uh, Dave Nickel probably addressed in postgame. You, just, you can't run a three-yard route on fourth and four. But Tennessee State can't take advantage, even though they take over at midfield at their 45, pardon me. And then is a no-yard gain for Devin Starling. Again, the star running back. We're doing a good job. Just overwhelming that offensive line. Jed Johnson with a tackle there. Incomplete. Uh, Demonte Russell beginning to flash for the Bulldogs. He gets the quarterback hurry there. And then we're incomplete again. Um, Excuse me, that one was complete. And then Starling, again, it's kind of cloud coverage. You're you're not going to be able to do much against that. 42-yard punt. Austin Williams picks it up on the bounce, returns two yards to the state 11. What do we do? We go down and score. Well, Riders complete to Makai Polk for 14. Then DJ runs for six. We're incomplete to Williams. We go back to Williams on third and four for a 19-yard gain, gets it out to midfield. And then we throw it deep, and we find Makai Polk for a 50-yard touchdown. And at that point, you know, the route was completely on. And uh, it was just a matter of, you know, how soon do we make a call here? Tennessee State then actually puts together a pretty decent drive, uh, one of their better drives of the day, even though it didn't yield any points for them. But Mitchell runs for five, runs against for six, moves the chains, first down. They're complete to uh, Rodale Raman for two, and then complete to Darren Johnson again for nine. Daron Johnson becoming a possession guy. First and ten out at, for the 49-yard line, complete to Cam Weish, incomplete, they go back to Bryant for a run of eight, and then there is a holding call that backs it up. And this is really the difference in this drive. They were moving along to that. That was going to be a first down, a first down in Mississippi State territory just inside the 40-yard line. but It is nullified by a holding call. They go back to, um, to Devin Starling for seven. It's kind of a check down over the middle, and State blows it up, and then it's a 36-yard punt to the MSU 15. State goes down and scores. You know, again, it's over here. We're just stretching our legs at this point. Uh, Incomplete at Jameer Calvin. We go to Marks on a swing pass for nine. Then Marks breaks a run for 22 yards. Again, this is the difference between the strength and conditioning programs. This is when you begin to see it. Uh, We're complete to Caleb Ducking for 13. Back at Jaden Wiley for nine. Brings up a second and one. We give it to Dylan Johnson, who breaks into the open field for a 32-yard run for a touchdown. It is now 49 nothing with the extra point. Good. And then, um, you know, we're just kind of counting it down, right? I mean, it's like, let's just get out of here without any injuries. And that's the thing, too. I don't even remember seeing a single player having to be attended to by the Mississippi State staff. If there was anything, it was minor. And there just there wasn't anybody that had to be assisted from the field that I remember. Tennessee State takes over at their 25. It's a run for nine, a run for three, which moves the change, brings up a first and 10 at their 37. They're complete to Zaire Thornton for six, brings up a second and four, and then Michael Mitchell dumped for one-yard loss, Jed Johnson and Ty Cooper. Ty Cooper, the pride of Louisville High School, or Louisville High School, pardon me. And then they hit the big play, the one big play of the day. On third and five, they hit Cam Weish, who beats Cameron Richardson and uh, – and I'm not going to hate on DKAM at all. I mean, you know, this is a guy that needs reps. He's probably going to be a starter for us next year. But it's a 55-yard game. Sets up uh, you know, a first-and-goal situation for them. And then Mississippi State said, nope, not going to do that. Not going to do that. So Bryant runs for a four-yard loss. And Dylan Lawrence strips the ball out of there. Judd Johnson scoops it up. Returns at 12 yards to the state, 19. And at this point, everybody's like, these guys are not even going to score. Well, they did. They did. And a lot of it's because we gave them the short end of the field. We, 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 we take it, then we give it at times. Chance Levertich takes over. It is complete to Rufus Harvey for eight. And then incomplete to Omni Wells, uh, broken up. J.J. Jernigan then runs for two yards and fumbles the football. And then TCU recovers at the state 29. Now, they didn't get much on this. They're complete for eight. Then they run for one, brings up a third and one. And then it's a it's, a, it's a five-yard loss. But they knocked the field goal through from 43 yards. And they're on the board, 49-3. Get the kickoff. Marks returns at 25 yards. Really nice return. Look, he was maybe a block away from really breaking that thing and getting some big numbers there. Levertich puts a nice drive together. And um, we go down and get that field goal back. So Levertich incomplete to Brody King. It was broken up. I really thought he might have gotten there early. They didn't flag it. And at this point, if it's marginal, you probably let it go. Uh, Complete to J.J. Jernigan for seven, out to the 37. Levertich then runs for two, brings up a fourth and one. We go. Jernigan then runs for eight yards. The newly scholarship recipient, recipient, Jernigan for eight. Levertich lays it out for Teddy Knox, and uh, we're we're just not quite there. And Teddy looked good running out on the field. Really want to see Teddy Knox a lot more uh, in the years to come. Excited about his potential. A false start on Nick Jones, which is one of the only penalties of the day on Mississippi State. I think there were three. State kicks out of bounds on the opening kickoff. Martin Emerson is flagged on a kind of questionable third and seven. And then you have a false start. We, we talked about pre-snap penalties early in the year. We have cleaned that up. This offensive line has really improved. Alabama game, not our best moment, but we have really improved since then. Uh, takes then complete to Carson Banks for 23 yards. How about that? Walk-ons making plays. Uh, Completed J.J. Jernigan for 12, another first down. Brings up a first and 10 situation at the Tennessee 23. We're incomplete to Rufus Harvey. Kind through in traffic there. Nick Harper breaks it up for him. We go back to Rufus for seven. Gets it down to the Tennessee uh, State 16. Levertich then runs for one on third and three. Uh, just couldn't quite get there. The McCord steps up, knocks it through, makes it a 52-3 game. We kick it off. They return at 27 yards. Set up shop at their own 30. DeVion Bryant is then complete to Zaire Thornton for 18. Four-yard gain uh, on the quarterback being flushed there, Nick Mitchell and J.P. Purvis on the tackle. Starling runs for two, brings up a third and four situation. They find Cam Weish again. Same guy on that 55-yard gain. Here he is, 20. Jay Jemison on the tackle. Incomplete then. And then we've got another, I guess we actually had four penalties on the day. The box score I initially said three. But Corey Allington is penalized for pass interference. And, you know, it's probably a little ticky-tack at this point in the ballgame. But hey, the kid's got to learn. So it's 15 yards down from the State 26 of the 11, first and 10 of the 11. They run for four, they run for two, and then they, they, it looked like the parting of the Red Sea. Michael Mitchell runs easily in for five. Again, Of course, the bandits are in there now. You're talking second, third team guys, so it's not an indictment on Zach Arnett in any way. And, you know, let, let's be honest, letting them score a little bit here late doesn't cost us anything when we're saving some wear and tear on our regulars. Teddy Knox then fields a the kickoff and takes it back 31 yards to State 35 and looked really good doing it. This guy's really, really athletic. Uh, Tennessee State sets up – excuse me, we set up shop here at the uh, State 35. Leverage complete to Omni Wells for 40 yards. Really felt like he could have broken here. A little bit impatient running there. He, he could have cut inside his block there. Ends up running into his blocker and tripping over his blocker. But, hey – Glad to see those guys that they're making some plays. We're then a Brody King for no game. Back to him for five. Brings up a third and five. And uh, I think this was a busted play. You could have just thrown it away, but you know what? You run right there and you just take a knee and you set up a field goal. And Nolan McCord steps in and knocks it through. His best game is a collegian. You know, we had this discussion and everybody had their feelings hurt and everybody was – you know, wringing their hands over, you know, who, what they perceive to be these fragile kickers. They're not, they're football players. They may not be guys that go out there and line up in the trenches. These guys are tough minded people. You have to be to play in this league. And Owen McCord has responded. He is simply responded. I'm proud of the kid. And I think he had a great game on Saturday. And if it boils down us having to make a big kick on Thursday, I got confidence. The kid to go make it. Uh, Aiden Martin then gets a chance to kick off. And, uh, you know, it kicks out of bounds. And they don't register this penalty either. That's another penalty. And so Tennessee State just takes a nil down, and that's a ball game. So it's 55-10 to 10 Mississippi State. Let's take a quick look at the numbers, and then we'll get into today's top ten list. Uh, but looking at these numbers, uh, some huge numbers for Mississippi State. We did allow 14 first downs. It's like you look at that, and it almost jumps out to you a little bit. Two of them by penalty. But uh, State with 23 first downs, 5 on the ground, 18 through the air. Rushing yards for us, we netted 107. They netted 35 on 34 carries. We ran it 15 times. We averaged 7.1 yards a rush. They had one yard, one per rush. That won't get it done. Total offense, excuse me, 493 yards passing for us, 170 for them. 600 yards offense for us, 205 for Tennessee State. Not that we expected. I'm not not sitting here gleefully calling these numbers out. I mean, it's just the reality of it. Uh, We did not punt on the day, which is always a great thing. They punted seven times. They kicked off three times. We kicked off ten. That usually means you won, right? We got three touchbacks on the day on our ten kickoffs. And and some of that maybe we're working directional stuff or trying to cover kicks and pin them inside 25. not sure. Five pound returns on the day, and uh, believe it or not, we did not possess the ball. We did not win time of possession, which is a rarity for us. They did. They had it 35 minutes because we're scoring so quickly. Look at individual efforts here. Will Rogers, 28 of 34 for 391 yards, five touchdowns, no picks, no sacks. Levertich, 8 of 12 for 102, also no sacks. Dylan Johnson, your lead rusher, five carries, you're 56. And what's interesting, too, is you look at the um, outside of us taking a knee a couple times, we had uh, no negative plays in the run game. Zerquavius Marks, five for 43. Gigi Jernigan, two for 10. Chance Levertich, two for three. And then they take the, uh, they take the negative, the, the kneel down against him. All right, receiving numbers, Makai Polk, nine catches for 110 yards and a score. Malik Heath, second in yardage, just two catches, 87 yards, but uh, really showed some explosiveness. Austin Williams, one of his best days in a Bulldog uniform, four catches, 75 yards, three touchdowns. Jade Wiley, three for 46, and again, I like how we utilized him early to kind of open up some things on the outside. Caleb Ducking, four catches for 26 yards. Uh, Dylan Johnson, two for 21. So you get on down the list. But we had a ton of people that went out for a pass for Mississippi State in this ball ballgame. Uh, defensively, it's a little different, right? A little bit different on defense. The number's pretty gaudy for the Bulldog defense. You're out there an awful lot. So your leading tackler on the day, Deshaun Page. How about that? We hadn't talked about him much. Eight tackles on the day. Jed Johnson also had eight. Chum Preston with seven. And he has played well as of late. And we need him to. This is a guy that's really good against the run. He struggled a little bit last year in coverage, but he's had a couple nice PBUs this year. Aaron Odom, running second team at defensive end, also six tackles. Ty Wheat, uh, five tackles for him. Demonte Russell also with five. I mentioned he's starting to flash a little bit. That's good news for Mississippi State. And I like how we move him around a little bit. That's a long physical player. Tackles for loss, Ty Wheat led the team with three for 21. Nathan Pickering also had a couple. Both of his were sacks. Deshaun Page also with uh, one and a half TFLs. So, a nice number for Bulldogs. A lot of people getting a hand and making those plays behind the line of scrimmage. Dylan Lawrence, of course, credited with the fourth fumble and four tackles. Also had a tackle for loss. Jay Johnson with the fumble recovery. Looking at pass breakups, three on the day, Colin Duncan, Sean Preston, and Bookie Watson. And we had the one quarterback hurry for DeMonte Russell. So Mississippi State takes care of business. We get out of here not having to punt. um, And, you know, really played clean for the most part. And the things that were mistakes, you know, we had a fumble and we had a couple of really silly penalties that are execution penalties, not disciplinary-type penalties. We had a couple of execution-type penalties. And so that can be cleaned up. And you say, well, Steve, it's November. You know what? We're still trying to get better. As Mike Leach has all the time, we're trying to find a way to get better this week. All right, time for today's top 10 list, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair is a mortgage professional. There are a lot of people in the game that are just, like, there to collect a check. That's not Blair. Blair is there to serve you. This is a guy, listen, the guy's been very successful for a long time. You don't stay in the industry for 20 years if you're not getting things done. And that's Blair. 20 years of experience, I think 21 years now. In the top 1% close ratio in the country. Works at fairway mortgage, not some fly-by-night, some prime lender. And you know, this is a guy working as a mortgage professional for a professional mortgage operation, one of the top five mortgage lenders in the industry. He also believes in doing business with Bulldogs. You should, too, if you reach out to Blair, whether you're looking to refinance your home, looking to buy a home for the first time, maybe you're looking to say, hey, can we afford... You know, maybe a place in Starkville. Can we get that done? Blair can help you. And maybe maybe you've been turned down elsewhere. Give Blair a chance to help you. He can put you on a path to help you achieve your dream of home ownership. Give him a call or a text today. I'm going to give you his personal number, not his office number. No, no, no. Not his office number. Not his assistant's number. His number. 601-500-2344, 601 601- five zero zero two three four four again i believe in doing business with bulldogs whenever we can kind of keep it in the family and so if you mention to blair that you heard about him on this show whether if you've known him your whole life just say hey blair i heard about your ad in the barnyard. he's going to pay for your appraisal it's about a 500 hundred dollar value a lot of fees that go along with getting the house refinanced or purchased and so he's willing to save you a little a little money just because you're getting the ken folks discount by being in the bulldog family Today's top 10 list, let me give a little credit here. Let me give a shout out. I have had numerous top 10 requests from this gentleman. And he said, it's Jay Heath Hopkins, just so you know. So Jay's like, hey, i have given you a lot of ideas. And maybe I have been remiss in mentioning Jay's and Because sometimes I'll like just send Roy the name. Say, hey, we got a request for Three Dog Night or something like that. And I don't tell him who it's from. So I try to remember. And so, Jay has been keeping score. Jay says, hey, I've requested Van Halen, Van Hagar, Top 10 Rathfords, Top 10 Mississippi Musicians, and a few others. How about top rock songs in 1997? Well, here's the deal. He said, 97 was a bad year of music, and so I absolutely disagree with that. The numbers don't support that, Jay. They don't. Jay Heath Hopkins. Sounds like he should be, like, in financial planning or something. So, He's like, hey, it was a weird year in music. How about top 10 songs from 97 or top 10 worst songs from 97? Well, so we've already done top alternative rock songs from 97. So I'm going to kind of take his idea and kind of flip it a little bit here. And we're going to go top rock songs from 1999. Now, it was different in 99, the late 90s. We didn't have a lot of metal. And there wasn't a lot of metal played on the radio. Like, even the bands that were still kind of around were kind of pushed out by new metal. But that, that was kind of rising to the forefront. So we've got some new metal on today's list. But I got a ton of honorable mentions today. You know, I don't like to do a whole lot of them. I have to today because 99 was a year that introduced us to a lot of great artists. So these, the fact that these didn't make the list, and some of these have been on lists before, the fact that you could, we could do a top 20 and you would still feel slighted and say, hey, what about so-and-so? So these didn't make the list, and I love these songs, but I wanted to kind of diversify the list a little bit. But "Learn to Fly" from Foo Fighters, honorable mention. "Cowboy" from Kid Rock, even though I, I think my favorite Kid Rock song—only well, God knows why—is my favorite one. But but how do you not get down to "Ball with a Ball"? I mean, it's like you put it on, and it just makes you want to grit your teeth. How about "Lit Up" from Buck Cherry? I've seen those guys live; they're incredible. Love Buck Cherry. But Lit Up is a party song all the way. And I don't, you know, sometimes i got to be careful singing that one, right? Uh, Alice in Chains, Get Born Again. This is kind of towards the end. The song one from Creed. That's right. I'm not scared to say it. You're not scared to listen to it either. Stop being a sheep. Creed was great. Don't pretend you didn't love it. Don't, don't pretend you didn't sit there and sing with arms wide open at the top of your lungs. Yo, I hope he's not like me talking about your son you you aren't talking about don't pretend don't 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 get herded into that pasture and then how about bittersweet from fuel how about that seen those guys live too love them all right so here's your top 10 list And, and there's some bands one of the reasons i didn't include all those is you know we've we've talked about some of those before so i said let's diversify a little bit and let me bring some bands in maybe we hadn't talked about much on top 10 list Number 10, a band that I saw live at Bonfet. One of the closest that I've come to a fight in the last uh, several years. But it's You Wanted More from the band Tonic. Tonic was great. They only got about four really good songs. But You Wanted More is probably the biggest one. And I know that uh, If You Could Only See is another one that people really like. I like Casual Affair a lot. But You Wanted More, that's your number 10 song today from Tonic. Number nine, a band that I dug a lot. Like the second album a little bit more. I know many of you like this band too. They're still performing. But it's Inside Out from Eve Six. And some people are thinking, oh dude, I hadn't listened to them in years. While you're while you're thumbing through the Eve Six, put on Promise and listen to me. I'm telling you, you'll love it. Number eight, we've had this band before on the top ten list, but it's the song Heavy from Collective Soul. I dig this track. I love the way that it starts, love that guitar riff. Number seven, a song we've had before, too, but I couldn't put this list together without including the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I went with Scar Tissue. I actually had the book. I hadn't read it yet, and a matter of fact, I just picked up a copy of Dave Grohl's book, so I got some reading to do once the regular season ends. My goal is to get both of those books read uh, before the end of the year. Uh, number six, we've never talked about this one. And at the time, this band was probably the biggest band in the world. And a lot of people hate them today. They deny they listen to them. They're liars. They're liars. Because everybody listened to Limp Bizkit at the time. Everybody did. You can say what you want. You can tell your kids. You can lie to your kids. You can lie to your boss. You're not going to lie to me. You and I both know when the song Nookie came out, you sang it. You did. Because you say, I did it all for the nookie. Well, yeah, that's what you say. But everybody everybody listened to that song. And if you say you didn't, you are a liar. And I, I absolutely cannot respect that. Number five, this song has actually been on the list two. It's the band Bush. I absolutely love this track. I love Gavin Rossdale's vocal in this. It's The Chemicals Between Us. Number four... I could have gone a lot because the Battle of Los Angeles came out in 1999. And and if you know anything about rock music, you know that's Rage Against a Machine. One of the more powerful videos of that era and one of the most powerful songs of that year is Sleep Now in the Fire by Rage Against a Machine. Sleep Now in the Fire. Number three. I could have gone a lot of different ways here. I almost went with Freak on a Leash, but I'm like, you know what? That's what everybody would probably do. But instead, I went, you know, corn and, like, the Family Values Tour, you know, Limp Bizkit and Korn, everybody, like, the, those were the bands at the time. Those were the headliners in rock music. But I went with Falling Away From Me. I love all that guitar stuff in the background. I mean, it's like, it's all so eerie. And you watch that video, and it's just absolutely ins- insanity. Falling away from me by Corn, number two. I Had a friend of mine that the day that S and M came out from Metallica, you know they, they played. I think with the uh, San Francisco Symphony, I believe that's correct. Like we were in line. He said, "Dude, I got to get this," and we were in line to go buy it. And I went home immediately and watched it all the way through. It was phenomenal. And then, then other people tried to do it to kind of do what Metallica did. But there was a song that was brand new and kind of unique to that album, that S&M album, and it's No Leaf Clover. It is one of my favorite Metallica songs because I think it is so diverse and uh, it is unlike anything else in the catalog. Listen, I like Seek and Destroy and For Hunda Bell Tolls and Master of Puppets. I love all that stuff too. But I really dig this track, and I think it gets a bum rap at times. And so I've got it number two on my list of top rock songs from 1999. So now you're thinking, Steve, we've talked Alice in Chains. We talked Rage Against the Machine. We talked Limp Biscuit, We talked Corn. What are we going to do? Well, it's got to be the Pet Shop Boys. No, it's not the Pet Shop Boys. I'm going with a band, and I'm doing this in many respects to kind of right it wrong because I disliked this band for a long time because of the feud they had with Nikki Six of Motley Crue because I'm a Nicky guy. I'm a Motley guy. But one of my favorite rock songs of all time, not just from the 90s, not just from the past 25 years, but of all time, a song that I cannot drive the speed limit to. So if you ever hear of me getting pulled over for doing, you know, you know 155, it's probably because I'm listening to this. But it's Keep Away from God Smack. That is an absolute banger. And some people are going to say, Steve, you blew it. You didn't put Ricky Martin or whatever, and and you're wrong. It's not rock music. I was living La Vida Loca too, but we're not going to do that on a rock list. But there you go. Top 10 rock songs from 1999. Absolutely love that era. And this is like, it was kind of a weird time in music, right? But there was a lot of attitude and there was a lot of innovation in music at the time. And that's what happens. When things begin to change, it takes a little while, you know, for people to kind of adopt a new technology. And that's why I think bands like Korn uh, still have some staying power because they have been able to kind of sustain themselves in many respects they don't chase trends but it's like they build one album upon the other and of course brownhead Welch comes back and uh, things are, are as they once were because yeah you know, monkey couldn't play both parts uh, on stave on stage live so there you go there you go top 10 from 99. All right. Let's thank our good friends at Campus Bookmart as we uh, look back and look at the weekend it was, and it was a very interesting weekend in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, but Campus Bookmart, I love those folks. I saw Candy and uh, and her wonderful husband earlier today. Great folks. They're out moving around. Everybody enjoying a nice day in Starkville. But uh, I'm going to be at Campus Bookmart on. Let me think here for a second. I'm going to be there on Saturday of this week. So I'll spend Black Friday at Bookmart and Cafe, and then Saturday at Campus Bookmart, and then Sunday I'll be right back at Bookmart and Cafe. So if you're shopping in Starkville this weekend, if you're staying over to look to buy your maroon and white wares, let me tell you come to Campus Bookmart. And you get some signed books, get a picture made with me. You might even get a hug. Maybe, if you're nice. Maybe. It's free hugs and free signatures when you buy a book. If you're already stocked up on the Steve Robertson books, you need to outfit yourself and your friends, your family, your dog, everybody in new maroon and white merchandise. You can find it online at campusbookmart.net, and by being a loyal Yard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that's BSR. That stands for beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping. On all orders, over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. And let's be honest. We could all save a little money this time of year. That's one more gift that we can put under the tree, right? I have to pay that shipping. So go check it out today, campusbookmart.net. Let's go back and look at what happened over the weekend. Pretty crazy weekend. And it's like the, every week we say that. When nothing ever goes. The chalk doesn't hold anymore. Maybe it's because of all these COVID seniors. I don't know. It's different, man. It is. Maybe it... Levels out. We'll see. So, Georgia destroys Charleston Southern 56-7. No surprise. A&M blows out Prairie View 52-3. Not to be outdone. Mississippi State, of course, beats Tennessee State 55-10. These 11 o'clock games, guys, all of them, The SEC team scored in the 50s. Kentucky, 56-16 winners over New Mexico State. Arguably the game of the day, probably not the game of the day, but arguably you can make a case for it, is the Alabama-Arkansas game. Alabama had numerous opportunities to put Arkansas away, and they couldn't do it. This is a vulnerable Alabama team. I mean, it's like we look at them and say, Steve, they're number two. They're number two. They're 10 and They're and 10-1. Give them a break. And I am. They're great. Don't get me wrong. They destroyed us. But this doesn't look like a national championship team. And I think this is a team that, if they did make the playoffs, could lose in the playoffs. And I also think this is a team, too, that if they show up in a bowl game underprepared, if they pout because they didn't make the playoffs, they'll get beat. It'll happen. It's happened before. Utah beat them. Remember that? Yeah sure you did but 42 35 winners and arkansas took them down to the wire they really did alabama struggled to get stops and finally late i think nick saban said pete in the ball game and they do missouri 24 23 and it's a game that sent shockwaves throughout the nation not just because of the outcome of the game but the aftermath that followed dan mullen fired at florida after four years It is absolutely incredible to me. I know people are like, oh, Steve, you know, yeah, yeah. Guys, listen, I'm not a huge Dan Mullen fan. I'm appreciative of what he did for us. Dan Mullen is a great football coach, and, and he's a little smarmy, right? I think most people would agree to that. But let's be honest. I mean, when we talk about on this show that it takes a special person to run a Blue Blood program. And it's pretty obvious that uh, that's not Dan Mullen, right? I think that's, you know, I think Dan's unwillingness to recruit was really his undoing. One big, would must champs recruits and a will, was known as a good recruiter. Wasn't a great coach, but a great recruiter. But, you know, let's kind of take a look at this. And I think it's important. Dan Mullen... In 2018, a year that he should have been at Mississippi State and probably would have been in Atlanta, I believe Dan Mullen with that 18 defense wins the West and we go to Atlanta. I believe it. Of course, it doesn't matter at this point because he wasn't here. But Mullen goes 10 and 3 at Florida, and they win the Peach, and he finished tied for second in the East. In 19, Mullen back in the new Year's six 11 and 2 in the regular season. Six and two, and again, second in the East. And they win the Orange Bowl. Last year, it's like, sometimes we forget. It's like, oh, well, they went eight and four, but guys, it was an SEC only schedule. They go eight and two. That can't be right. They went eight and two in the regular season, and then they lose. I think the Wikipedia is wrong. The list of, uh, because like, I guess it is true. They lost the SEC Championship game. So, an 8 and 2 regular season, they win the East, they lose to Bama, and they lose the Cotton Bowl. It got destroyed in the Cotton Bowl. And there was some angst about that that kind of left, lingered over, but everybody's like, hey, you know, we're going to be okay. And so, here's the deal it's like three major bowl games in a row. So, you're New Year Six, New Year Six, and I, I think the cotton was, uh, yeah, they were New year, three consecutive New Year Six bowl games for Florida. And then one down the year and he's gone. That's tough, man. That is tough. I had a guy come into book sign on the day and said, Steve, you know what? If he goes eight and four Mississippi State every year, we'd name a stadium after him. And that's right. And people could say, you know what, Steve? Well, maybe they expect more at Florida. You know, maybe they shouldn't. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't, Florida. Because here's the thing, and I had this discussion uh, with the illustrious Hind Dog earlier today. Sometimes I think that should be the show, like me and him just talking sports. Because he has some interesting points. And he made a comment to me, too. He said, you know what? Mississippi State is a better job than people appreciate. I mean, it really is. Let's, let's take a look at what Florida has done since Urban Meyer left. Now, of course, the last year of Urban was not good. They went 7-5 and five in a regular season, 4-4 four and four in a the league. They win the Outback Bowl and finish 8-5. And, and then, of course, he has some health problems, right? And, of course, you can't knock what Urban did. Urban was the biggest name in the country. And of course, he goes to Bowling Green to Utah, wins there, and then comes to Florida. And then in year two, wins a national championship. And then in year four, wins another one. Put three 13-1 seasons together in four seasons. And then it all kind of fell apart. It did. And, of course, the first three's up there. You, you, don't, you don't have Tim Tebow, right? So, Urban leaves, and they hire Will Muschamp. He has one good year. As a top ten finish. 2012, they go 11-2. and two. Outside of that, 7-6, and 11-2, 4-8, and 7-5. and eight, seven and, five. and they win the Birmingham Bowl with D.J. Durkin as the interim coach. Yep. All right, so then they bring in Jim McIlwain. McIlwain, three years, and then he's fired at four and seven. And so are you noticing a trend here? It's like McIwain's ten and four, nine and four, four and seven, and he's gone. And of course, there was all that stuff about you know, McElwain's termination had nothing to do with on the field performance. And it was like all this craziness about the, the shark thing, you know. He says it wasn't him. I don't know if it was or wasn't, but like it was a, a popper thing on Twitter, and people were making fun of him. And the next thing you know, there was this, you know some some billing irregularities, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, it was it was not related to on the field stuff. They fire him, and um, it's pretty crazy. They fire him, and then you know they're looking for a coach, and uh, they go get Mullen, and then Mullen gets him in three consecutive New Year's Six games, and he's terminated. Interestingly enough to me, there was one. There was a, a line in Scott Strickland's statement today where he says they're looking for sustained success. Well, Scott, aren't we all? We're all looking for sustained success. But it's like you begin to ask yourself, three straight New Year's six, and then you have one difficult year. So it, it makes me wonder... Is there something else here? You know, is, is there something else at play? I don't mean necessarily a scandal. I'm just saying there's some people behind the scenes that maybe just got tired of Dan Mullen. Because Dan's a guy that grades on you after a while. I mean, he does. You know, Dan's a big personality. And there are a lot of people that can only take Dan Mullen in, in small doses. You know, that's you know Joe, completely different. Joe Moorhead, even though he has a big personality, you know, Joe's the kind of guy like, you know, Brian Haydad has a Christmas party every year, and the media comes over, and uh, they're very generous, and, and he and, uh, and Jennifer uh, feed all of us. Guys, Joe came to the party because that's who he is. Joe just comes to the party and sits on Brian Haydad's couch because that's who Joe is. Dan Mullen would have never done anything like that. Joe just didn't win enough. Simple as that. He didn't win it. think about this for a second. You know, Joe Moorhead, we, we talk about the difference in the jobs. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, Joe, that the era wasn't good. Look, guys, Joe won both the Egg Bowls and got us in bowl games in back-to-back years. And, no, it wasn't pretty. That's the only time in our history that a guy has, lo- has won the Egg Bowl and been fired. It's never happened. In our history. And he did it twice. And you know what? And it was the right decision. As much as I like Joe, and I still have some correspondence from Joe from time to time, it was the right call. It really was. I, maybe the job was too big for him. Maybe he just wasn't quite ready for it. I don't think that's an indictment on him as a person. And I think he'll probably learn from the experience and be better. Um, but, you know, when you come in, you talk about, you know, get your, you know get your, what's your ring size and clear out some spot on the mantle for the Heisman Trophy. You know, you say that stuff in the locker room. You, know, you, don't, you don't say it publicly. You just, you just don't. And I think that there were a lot of people, of course, that became kind of the, you know, the whipping post. You know, it's like those things begin to happen and people kind of beat Joe up with his own words. You know, go kick rocks, Bob from Boca Chica. All right, uh, Auburn in bad shape now. South Carolina wins. They're both eligible. And that's the thing, you look at this thing too now with Auburn. Auburn really in a good spot now for Mississippi State. Auburn not going to beat Alabama with T.J. Finley as a quarterback. Auburn's won the West, but they're not going to coast. Auburn going to be a 6-6 six and six team. South Carolina going to be a 6-6 six and six team more than likely. I guess they could get a 7-5, not expecting it. But I didn't expect South Carolina to beat Florida. I didn't expect him to beat Auburn, even though that to me is less surprising. You know, Auburn's playing a first game with a backup quarterback. I could, you know, you could see why the offense would struggle a little bit. And South Carolina has played three different quarterbacks that have all won two games apiece. So it has been a team effort. Uh, Vanderbilt, of course, uh, takes all Miss down to the wire. It's a 31 17 ball game. And, you know, that was the thing, too, is Bandy began to climb back into it. There was one sequence that really stood out to me. Vandy is third and three, and at the time, averaging 4.2 yards a carry. And they threw back-to-back passes with a quarterback that really struggles to do that. What are you thinking? Ole Miss had not been able to stop the run, and even when they sold out, Rocco and those guys are able to find a crease every now and again. I thought the Vandy, but offensive line actually played pretty well. So you have a chance there to really climb back in it. It doesn't work out. And, and what do they have? You know, A couple turnovers and turnover on downs. In the second half. Ole Miss wins 31 to 17. We're gonna break some more Ole Miss stuff down tomorrow. But here's the deal you know, Vanderbilt, we love you and we wish that you would have won this ball game. But this is probably the best we could have hoped for from you. Going down and looking at this thing too. You know, Ole Miss up twenty four to nine at the break. They score seven points in the second half. We have all this discussion about offensive guru. Like I don't know, I don't know who started that. But we hear that from time to time. Offensive guru. And so let's just go back and look at a couple things here. I think it's important. And maybe it's just me that thinks these things. You guys may see life a little differently than me. Maybe 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 you're smarter than me. Maybe I don't know. Maybe you are. I don't know. Maybe you maybe you dated pretty girls and me. I don't know. Okay, so in the LSU ball game. Old Miss goes, scores 14 second-half points, and all is in the third quarter. But, listen, the game's over. It's 31-7, so you're kind of coasting a little bit. See, there's not a big indictment, right? Well, the next week you play Auburn, you score three points in the second half, and you lose. You lose. Now, you're down at the half, 28-17, so you know you're going to come out and have to play some good offense, and, and then you don't. You, you put up three points. Then you get this ball game against Liberty. It's 24-0 at the break, right? Well, then you score three points in the second half, and it's not like Liberty scored in the fourth quarter a couple of garbage touchdowns. Guys, they scored two in the third quarter to pull within two scores. It's 27-14 at the end of three. Liberty is still very much in the game. Let's go to this A&M game, right? So you get down here at the end, and it's like it's still very much a ball game. You get one offensive touchdown, and you get the pick six, right? That's what puts the game away is the A.J. Finley 52-yard interception because if this, it's 22-13. They're driving. It's still a nine-point game, but you get a pick six. And so you're just not really getting the offensive production that you would think. And then you go back and look this week again. You look, again, the Vanderbilt game. Again, this is a hapless opponent that Mississippi State drilled and you score seven points. So there are clearly some issues with whatever opponents are doing at the half to make adjustments to the Ole Miss offensive production. And listen, they do a great job scheming you up. Ole Miss is incredible in the first quarter. If State can survive that initial punch, maybe you get a turnover, maybe you get a, a play. Maybe you if you get to the half with a lead, I think State's going to win going away. But this is a, a Ole Miss offense that is struggling in the second half, in the second half of the season. This is an Ole Miss defense that is actually a little bit better. And like just by showing up, they should have been better than what they were a year ago. But they are better. They're not great by any stretch, but they're a better team defensively. And I think that's made a difference. I think that's a difference in them winning games like the Tennessee game. Is because their defense is able to get stops. Remember how the game ended? With Ole Miss getting a stop. The guy comes up, you know, half yard short of the first down. And listen, I know, look, the Bulldog and us, oh, well, he made it. He didn't make it. The spot was wrong, but even if the spot was correct, he didn't make it. It was fourth down. The game's over. Ole Miss made the play to win the game. And so – yeah, they're a little bit better defensively. But when you begin to think about you know, what, so what happens when you play a second-half team like Mississippi State, what, what is going to happen? So let's take a quick look at that. I don't, I don't want to get too involved in this because, you know, we could chase rabbit trails all day, with this kind of stuff. And, we got, again, we're going to have four shows this week, so we've got plenty of time to talk about it. But let's just look at what State has done offensively in the second half um, here in recent weeks. And I think this is a really interesting combination, you know, for what, you know, what to expect. Let's go back. Let's start. Let's start with that Vanderbilt game. State puts up 21 to outscore Vanderbilt 21-3 to in the second half. And, of course, this game was essentially over at halftime. It's 24-3 to at the break, and you outscore them 21-3 in the second half. And that's without even really trying Mississippi State, second half against Kentucky. Of course, State is up 14-10 at the break after getting down to nothing. They outscore Kentucky 17-7 in the second half. Uh, we go to, to Arkansas, and uh, we're down 13-7 to at the break, and we, uh, we, we outscore them 21-18 to in the second half. Not, not a huge disparity, but you still are winning the second half. The Auburn game, do we even need to talk about it? You remember what the score was. State outscores them 33-6 in the second half. 33-6? It's insanity. And then this weekend, believe it or not, we give up 10 points late with the bandits in there, and we still outscored them 20-10. to 10. So with the exception of the Alabama game, we talk about playing well in the second half of the year. State has found a groove in the second half. That's five straight games Mississippi State has outscored their opponents in the second half. So, again, you get this game to the half within a score, or if you got, the, let's just say, State's got the lead at the half. My goodness. What could happen? Because you're going to be there. Ring that cowbell. It's going to be a tough place to come back. It really is. Now, give Matt Corral credit. Last time he was here, he let him down for a, a potential game time score, and then Elijah Moore lost all sense of reality. And next thing you know, there's trouble. There's trouble. All right, finishing up these scores. South Alabama, not much of a threat at all. Tennessee, sixty to fourteen winners for Tennessee. And then LSU struggles through this ball game, but they beat Ewell Monroe twenty-seven fourteen to keep the dream the dream of the Birmingham Bowl alive, you know, for LSU. And 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 LSU had to had to play a little bit. They did. It's 17-7 at the break, and then they get ahead 24. But then, you know, UL Monroe comes back. But it was not, it was not a masterpiece by any stretch. And there are a lot of people involved with LSU football who are just ready for this thing to be over with. They just are. I mean, people. I don't. I, don't, I think. It, what What do you do with that orange run if you make a bowl game? And LSU might just decide. You know what? Hey, we're not going to take the invitation because here's the thing. You look at these standings, real quick. So obviously, you know Georgia has won the East. At this point, Kentucky eight and three plays Louisville this weekend. Tennessee six and five. They're going to be seven and five. They play Vandy this weekend. Missouri six and five. They play Arkansas this weekend. That'll be interesting. I like Arkansas. That's interesting. South Carolina six and five. They play Clemson. Florida five and six. They play Florida State. Vanderbilt two and nine. Of course, they play Kentucky. I'm play Tennessee. Excuse me. So you could have four teams in the SEC East that are six and six. And so, again, and that kind of takes me back to this whole schedule model, modeling thing. It's like, oh, you know, well, man, it's, these things work in cycles. When, you know, when half the teams, over half the teams in the East are barely bowl eligible, don't talk to me about that. We play Georgia. Yeah, you do. You also play Vanderbilt every year. We don't get that. Uh, you and Ole Miss get that. We don't get that. All right. Look at the West. Alabama ten and one. They get Auburn this weekend. That's a win. Ole Miss nine and two, and could play their way into a New Year six. They get Mississippi State this weekend. That's a loss. State seven and four. They're going to beat Ole Miss. Be eight and four. A and M's eight and three. They got to go to LSU. So A and M could win and be a nine and three, and they could sneak in to a New Year six. And that's what I think will probably happen. State beats Ole Miss a m beats LSU. I think a and gets that spot. a and moves up, takes that spot. Auburn 6-5. They'll, they'll finish 6-6. Six six. Arkansas, I think, will beat Mizzou and finish 8-4. And, and then LSU uh, will lose and be 5-7. And, and so, But it's crazy to think about there's only one team in the league right now that is out of bowl contention. You could have 13 of 14 teams in the SEC be bowl eligible. You don't have enough spots for everybody, but trust me, they'll find them. They'll find them a spot. Interesting stuff, for sure, to say the least. Interesting stuff uh, around the SEC. So, that's and, and again, tomorrow we'll kind of look at kind of more the, the the bowl possibilities. Not a lot has changed since we talked about it last Friday, but we'll we'll kind of update you and kind of give you your rooting interest to kind of help Mississippi State uh, get into a Florida bowl game. I, I firmly believe if we finish 7-5, and five, if we don't win the Egg Bowl, we're going to Texas. I believe that. Probably 95%. If we win, I think we're going somewhere in Florida. Is it the Outback? Will they take Tennessee at 7-5? and five? I, you know, I think you could make a case. Mississippi State deserves to go, even though we went in 2018. We deserve to go over 7-5 and five team. We've been at a Gator Bowl three times in the last ten years. But I'd rather go to Florida. But, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just happy we're having these discussions. You know what I'm saying? That's the cool thing. We're having these discussions about – arguing about the last game of the year not just making a bowl game we've done that and we're going to finish in top half of the league but a chance to get in the florida bowl game when many people didn't even have us in the bowl picture i remember some some you know loudmouth experts had us going four and eight winning one, one sec game against vanderbilt right remember that and so listen it's listen we all miss on some stuff but there are some people that take such glee at taking shots at mississippi state because they know that our people will respond you know they, they know that we'll respond because they feel like we're insecure maybe we are but i get so tired of mississippi state getting kicked around a little bit i really do the national media always acts like we're a punchline they do even some of the people that you know that that i respect it's like anytime they get a chance they want to take a shot and you remember there were so many people that were just so absolutely incredulous that we were so upset about dan Mullen leaving and we always knew at some point he would but people acted like we didn't have a good job, a good program, and they're wrong. And now look at what's happened to Dan Mullen. We talked about it on the show before. Dan Mullen is like that guy that dated the same girl all the way through college and med school, and he became a doctor, and he broke up with her and traded her in for some Instagram model. And then the Instagram model is uh, you know, married to him for three or four years and now divorcing him and taking his money. You know, that's how it looks. Now, of course, Dan, Dan Mullen will leave a very wealthy man. Uh, From the University of Florida, and you know, if he wants to, he don't even think he has to work anymore. The guy's put away a lot of money. You get twelve million. What's it? Six million up front, then what a million a year for the next six years, something like that. Guy never has to work again a day in his life. He doesn't. Uh, But let's let's move on. Let's get into our our final segment of the show, brought to you by Portico, and uh, I know you'll love that place. It's a great place to live, and if you haven't just ridden by there and checked it out, you deserve it. And here's what's going to happen. Let me warn you. Your dreams are going to run wild a little bit. It's true. You're going to start thinking, you know what, man, this is a really nice place, and this really is close to campus. It's 1.1 miles away from campus. That's how close it is. And you're on the right side of campus. You're on the quiet side of campus. You're not on the business side. You're not in that commercial aspect of campus. You're quiet. You can zoom in and out of traffic and get right back to your home after the ball game is over. All your friends are going to want to come over because you're so close. Hey, can we come eat with you guys? Yeah, come on. Got that great walking trail. You can go burn off some of those calories you have that you put on from all your tailgating food. If you're a runner, you can run the campus. It's great. You'll be excited about it. Now, here's the thing. You can't move in right now because we've done such a good job promoting this thing. Phase one is full. But phase two is a good option for you because – You can have a say in picking your lot and picking the house plans for your future home. And everybody deserves to do that at least once in life. Brooks Bryan is a great friend of mine. He is a great friend of Mississippi State's. He is a great friend of yours. And he'd like to be an even better friend of yours because he knows it's been your dream at some point to move to Starkville or move back to Starkville. And maybe you need an investment property. Maybe you want to say, I want to Airbnb it out. I'm not using it. You can do that. Or maybe you're thinking, you know what, I want to get a second home. I want to be able to have a place to live. I don't want to have to carry on my tailgate and stuff everywhere I go. I want a place I can spend the night and have to play all the hotel rooms. You know, and then, hey, maybe I've got kids that are coming to school up here. They can stay at the house, watch it. I don't have to pay for the dorm. Brooks can give you all your options. Give them a call or text today. 601 416 8075. Again, 601-416-8075. There are a lot of people out there doing a lot of advertising dollars. There are. How many of them are giving you their cell number? Right? I mean, think about the people you do business with. How many people are you getting some 1-800-543-whatever? You get that all the time. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at this. Listen, you come to the Boneyard, I'm giving you these people's personal cell numbers. These people want to do business with you. They want to have a business relationship with you. Make Portico your next move. Okay, so we're going to go back and and relive some great moments in the Mississippi State Old Miss rivalry. And I thought well, we would start today. We're going to have three of these this week. Let's start with a 1998 Egg Ball. Because here's the thing, and I know, again, there's some Old Miss people listening to the show. So here's the thing. It's like, as good as this year has been for you guys, and it's been a good year, it has been. And I, and I, I love the reaction. It's like, well, you know, it's about where I had us. Guys, listen, I, I know this is something you don't want to talk about with your friends, and you don't want to be honest about this. But I know when you lay down at night and you turn the light off, and you get your feet under those covers, and you pull that blanket up by your head, you roll over, there's a part of you that says, you know what? It's never going to happen for us. We're never going to make it to Atlanta. We had a Heisman caliber quarterback this year, and we thought we were going to beat Alabama. And we had some people in the national media telling us we were going to beat Alabama, that we were the dark horse. And now you're not. You're eliminated again. You're an also-ran again. And it's like the same logic you used like when, when Mississippi State would – you know, we would always talk about all these great trips to Omaha. But it's like, well, yeah, you went, but you didn't win. But you didn't win. Well, now we have. We have won. We've proven we can win it all. And as some, one of our astute Boneyard listeners pointed out, that Ole Miss is the only team in a Southeastern Conference to never play in, an, in a national championship game in a modern era in any sport. How about them apples? You start thinking, but, Steve, how can that be true? Well, it is. You, you, do you want me to run it down for you? Because I can. I absolutely can. Let's look at the um, – I'm going to do it just because I know what's going to happen. People are going to say, well, Steve, okay, so Georgia has played for an NFL championship and football in recent years. Kentucky, how many women, how many men's basketball championship banners do you want to see? Tennessee – won the 1998 BCS NAFL championship. And how many NAFL championships did Pat Summit win? Uh, Guys, Missouri has also won the NAFL championship. Actually, won it in baseball years ago. South Carolina has won it in baseball and women's basketball. Florida has won several NAFL championships. But, of course, you know, C. Spurrier won one. Urban Meyer won two. Florida's also won a college baseball NAFL championship. Vanderbilt, also some baseball NAFL championships. Alabama, do we need to go on? I don't think we do. Mississippi State, no. We won an national championship in, in baseball, and we have actually played before for an national championship in baseball. Texas AM won an NFL championship in uh, women's basketball with Skylar Diggins. Auburn, of course, Cam Newton. Arkansas, right? Arkansas won the national championship, back-to-back championships in basketball, and then they lose in a championship series against Oregon State in baseball. LSU, do we need to say it? So there you go. There, there's your new talking point. It's like, well, we're invested in championships, except you're the only team in the conference not to play for them. (laughs) Isn't that something? It's like you can tweet it, you can tweet it, and you can make your graphic and everything else, and you can have your little hearty, har-har laughs. But the reality of it is, is it's beginning to sink in that it's probably not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. And you think, well, now, like, people are talking about hiring our coach. And you laugh about that on Twitter, and it's like it's a big joke. And you're like, oh, yeah, all the Bulldog fans are ready for him to leave. And you know what? Hey, we'll give the guy credit. He's been better than we expected. But the reason you're joking about it is to keep from crying because deep down in places you don't want to talk about, you realize it's not going to happen, and there's a good chance that your coach is going to leave. Because you, by your own admission, kind of realize, and maybe you talk among yourselves, that he's not real keen on Oxford. It's just not really his scene. It may be yours, but it's not really his. And you know if it's not now, it's later. And you know what? His stock may not be higher next year because you guys aren't going to be very good, and you know it, right? Because where would you be without Matt And who is phenomenal? He is. going to have our hands full with him on Thursday. But deep down, you know it. It's just not going to happen for you. And, you know, you know, you'll say, well, you know, hey, we made a New Year's Six Bowl again. We did. Yeah, we did. We did. But you still hadn't been to Atlanta, and we have, and we're fixing to talk about that right now. So Mississippi State had a chance to do something that had never been done before in the state of Mississippi. have not been done since. Mississippi State wins the SEC championship for Western Division. So, you know, we beat Arkansas. And J.J. was beat up but didn't play much. And Ole Miss – got destroyed in that Georgia game. Romero Miller ends up with a, uh, with a broken collarbone. And, uh, listen, guys, all due respect, even though Romero is, like, kind of clueless on Twitter, that guy could really play. That guy was a really good quarterback out of Shannon, Mississippi. He was a Gatorade player of the year in the state of Mississippi. And, you know, obviously State, Ole Miss both recruited him really hard. Uh, Ole Miss was going to get him. We end up taking Wayne Madkin. And, of course, uh, Wayne Madkin – if memory serves me correct, Wayne, the Madkin family has as many appearances in the SEC championship game as the Manning family does. I think that's correct. I'm confident I'm correct. All right, so so we went to Oxford, and um, what's David Miller? I think that was his name. David Miller was a quarterback. What, you know, I know he has like the quarterback country thing now, which is interesting. Interesting. Walk-on quarterback at Ole Miss, ends up. Uh, being kind of thrown to the wolves in many respects after Romero Miller's injury and uh, has to go play. So Romero is out, J.J. limited. And Ole Miss actually goes down and takes an early lead. They make a uh, 40-yard field goal. Uh, I think it was Bryce Carlisle maybe. I'm pulling that from memory. Makes the uh, 40-yard field goal to go up 3-0. And then all the Vault hemingway people were like, hey, maybe this thing is going to happen. No, no it, it wasn't. It it wasn't it wasn't gonna happen. Uh so Wayne Madkin makes a huge throw down the field and Kevin Prentice, there was not even even though the guy was like five eight, five nine, you you couldn't catch him. You couldn't catch him. So KP gets behind the defense. Wayne had some huge gains. It's the first and goal. We bring in JJ, and that was about all he could do, even though we ran him a little bit outside at times. He was really just kind of a short yardage guy because he had the growing injury uh, against Arkansas. If I remember correctly, he you know, only had 30, 30, 34 yards against Arkansas. That's what I wrote down. But J.J. gets in. Now it's a 7-3 ball game. So we're feeling pretty good. Because we knew they couldn't score. They couldn't score without our help. Uh, so... Again, Wayne Madkin dials up and really under through the football here. We line up Reginald Kelly basically outside as a wide receiver. We lay it up there to him. He has to fight back for the football, and as big and strong as he was, there was no way an old Miss defender was going to get there. And now it's first and goal again. We bring in J.J., and rather than kick the field goal, we actually went for it on fourth and goal. And DJ – excuse me, J.J., J.J. Johnson, I'm sorry – Dives over the top. And that used to be the big thing, right? Big running backs would dive over the pile. That's what he does. Makes it 14 to 3. And at this point, I think we all knew the game was over. I think we knew it. They knew it. They hoped against it. I think we knew it as well as our defense was playing, that incredibly athletic uh, defense of Jolie Dunn's, they had little to no chance. They do get a late field goal. With 157 to go in the second quarter, Ole Miss makes a field goal 14 to 6. Ole Miss actually puts a drive together there in the third quarter and begin to drive down, and uh, Dave Morris, right, what, whatever his name was. Um, he throws a pick in the end zone, and really a, a terrible read, a terrible throw. Corey Peterson was not open, and then he underthrows it. Robert Bean picks it off and actually returns it out. Uh, Deuce McAllister, with his big highlight of the game, makes the tackle on the play uh, out near the Mississippi State 30-yard line. So great, great job there, Deuce. Um, later, we put a drive together, and we hit Desenzo Miller on a screen, catch Ole Miss on a blitz, and Senzo takes it to the house, 21-6, true freshman from where Mississippi, uh, just kind of making it happen, doing some great things. And, again, we knew it was over. Ole Miss puts together another drive. State brings some heat. He throws in the traffic, and it's Eric Daniel. Eric Daniel picking it off. Incredible. And so, you know, here's the cool thing that I think is um, – when you go back and look at all this stuff, the the exclamation point in this game. And one of the things that's interesting too, like on David Morris's bio, it says that he remains the only true freshman to start a true freshman walk on that started an sec game. That's an interesting statistic, but here's the cool thing uh, that maybe you didn't know. Yeah. Dave Morris played 15 years, 15 games in four years at Ole Miss, 15 years probably felt like after playing Julie Dunn's defense, but, uh, Yeah, appeared in 15 games and uh, threw one touchdown in his college career. Sadly for Ole Miss, it was to Tim Nelson. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, Pass to the sidelines there, pops up. Tim Nelson picks it off, brings it back for pick six, dives into the end zone. State wins 28-6. And then State parades around Vaught-Hemingway Stadium with the Golden Egg Trophy, knowing that we were on our way to Atlanta. And of course, that's when, um, yeah, really, that's when you know the Ole Miss folks said, "Hey, you know what? We got to do something about this Jackie Sherrill guy." And here's the cool thing: is no matter what everybody says or anybody does, you can't take this moment away from us. So we win, we go to Atlanta, we lose Tennessee, eventual national champion, and had a fourth quarter lead and just couldn't finish the deal. Just didn't have quite enough offense to finish the deal. And and uh, Peerless Price got to us there in that fourth quarter. And you give Tennessee a lot of credit; they went on to win uh, and beat Florida State. Uh, for a NAFL championship. And um, it would have been great to have won it, but we didn't. We were bridesmaids again. But it's one of those things, too, it's like, you know, I'd rather live knowing that I had the chance than have never gone at all. And so it's like, again, we begin we, we tell ourselves, well, you know, it's, it's probably not going to happen for us. You know, at least we know. You know, we hadn't been back, but I believe we're going to get back. And maybe after Nick Saban retires, you know, I guess maybe it's a race to see who retires first, Leach or Saban. But I think the trajectory of our program is very positive. And I suspect if you ask Dan Mullen in hindsight, maybe he should have stuck around. But the reality of it is, is that we have been to Atlanta. We don't have to put up a banner and pretend we say, oh, you know, well, we were co champs. No, 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 unless your team's name has been in the end zone of the Georgia Dome the first Saturday in December, you haven't won anything. You may have tied for something, but you didn't win. There's a reason we have a tiebreaker. And so if you hadn't gone to Atlanta, you know, and, and people laugh about that 2003 thing. LSU, of course, wins the West, wins the SEC, wins the national championship, but yet Ole Miss has a 2003. SEC West banner up there. And well, they thing, what helps recruiting? does it, when, Until they do their own research, because deep down, we all know it's just not going to happen for you guys. And that's the thing, the beginning of the year, a lot of Mississippi State people said, you know what, I just want to get to a ball game. I don't want Ole Miss to get to Atlanta. Uh, so win-win. But let's finish up here and get a W on Thursday. And then I don't care where Ole Miss goes to a ball game. I just want to get the egg and then let's go to a nice ball game. And whether we go to Texas, we go to Memphis, we go to... Boca Raton, whatever. I don't even care. We're moving in the right direction. And our team is still relatively young. The nucleus of our team offensively are second-year players. we got probably two years left with all those guys. And so that makes me feel really good about our future, and it should make you feel good as well. Great show today. Enjoy talking to you guys about this. I'll be back tomorrow. How about that? I'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk a little bit more, preview some more. Again, we're going to look at what Ole Miss looks like on the offensive side of the football against the Bulldog defense. We'll kind of break those two things down. And uh, another great top ten list. I want to give you guys some, some lead time here. So, tomorrow is Tuesday. So, we're going to do top ten songs that I would like to dedicate to the Ole Miss fan base. And then on Wednesday, we're going to do kind of a Thanksgiving-type deal. Thanksgiving type show in many respects. We're going to preview the game and also talk about how the Bulldog offense matches up against the Ole Miss defense. But our top ten list is going to be kind of Thanksgiving-related, and then we'll have the Friday show. And the Friday top ten list will kind of depend on what happens in the Thursday ballgame. Again, I remain confident in the ball game. I think Mississippi State is going to win. I do don't think it's going to be a blowout type game either. I know some people are saying, I, I do think if State gets the lead at the half, that we're probably going to win – by a couple scores. And, of course, uh, if you saw the future spread last week, you know, like the futures, they were saying, hey, Ole Miss probably favored by two. Not the case. Mississippi State favored in this ballgame. And, again, I I expect State to win, and I look forward to uh, celebrating with you guys too. Uh, But this is one of those years too. It's like I think if if you looked at the season, you'd say, you know what, Ole Miss has had the better season. But if you look at the second half, I think you'd say, you know what, State's had the better second half of the season. We're trending upwards. I think they're trending downwards. You say, well, that big win against A&M, and they found a way to win. Absolutely correct. You know what, we went to College Station, we beat that same team. We also went to Auburn and beat the same team they couldn't beat. And so it's like you look at some of these things, you know, there's a lot of similarities in these teams. Uh, and listen, they're going to finish ahead of us. with the overall record, but we could catch them and beat them in the SEC standings. And so I think in hindsight – we're going to look back at this season and say, you know what, this is a season where Mike Leach and him kind of came of age in Starkville, Mississippi. Hadn't done so, let I me mean, encourage you go to dogpilethebook.com and uh, pre-order your copies. And I hope to have a release date. Hope to get it this week, if not uh, after uh, the Thanksgiving week. And uh, you know, I'm still holding out hope we can get them for Christmas. You know, if we don't, you're still going to get them. But um, I'll keep you updated as I know it's a very frustrating deal for me. I mean, it really, really is. I worked exceptionally hard to get this thing done in hopes of you guys having it on the christmas tree i still hang on to that hope but um, it is very very difficult for me in many respects because I, I worked exceptionally hard because i love all of you and i wanted you to have the joy of giving that book to people at christmas and so uh, that's why i work as hard as i did if i had known that we were going to have these delays i wouldn't have you know nearly killed myself writing that book uh, but i'm really proud of it i look forward to you guys having it and while you're there you can get copies of uh Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. And we talked about some of those books today. If you want to know more about the history of the state on Miss rivalry from a state on Miss perspective, get a copy of Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs. Uh, you'll be glad you did. Of course, you're looking for Blooms of Oleander. You can get that almost anywhere. Uh, find it online at Amazon.com. Uh, you can find it as an e-book. You can also get it through your local bookstore. That's going to do it for today. Be right back with you tomorrow. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.